This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is episode three of Keeping It 300. Make sure you subscribe, rate us, write a review. Basically, show us some love. We are brand new. We could definitely use it. We have some really great things going on with Blue Wire. So make sure you go to bluewirepods.com. Check out the other awesome podcasts that we have cooking up. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. All right, time to get down to business. I'm Fallon, if you already didn't guess that. Uh, James Jones is in L.A. right now. He actually just got off air with the NFL Network. What's up, Jay? What's going on? Yeah, man, you got me working today, but it's all good. (laughs) Hey, you signed up for this, okay? Let the people know that you are actually (laughs) excited to do this with me. I am. I'm juiced up, keeping the tree, honey. (laughs) All right, so I'm pumped up about our guest this week. Got to give him the proper introduction, so it's time to hype him up. He's the homie. He's a Bay Area native, Olympic gold medalist, undefeated world champion in two weight classes, considered the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. He is now retired but still doing big things as a host, a broadcaster, boxing analyst, and even doing a little acting, and he owns his own line of apparel. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andre S.O.G. Ward. Was that good enough, Andre? Mm, hello, hello. Yeah, <laughs> no, nah, that's beautiful, man. You, you get me fired up. I, I almost for a split second like feel like I want to come back. That's like the intro I get when I'm, <laughs> I'm getting introduced in the rain. That was great. I didn't, yeah. hold, I didn't hold the name long enough, though, to do that, but yeah, I tried. I tried. It's all good. Before we get uh, into all the cool stuff that you've been doing since retiring and hanging it up, um, I'm curious, did you watch the Habib McGregor fight? I, I did, I did, and like I'm a casual MMA fan, so I don't I don't tune in to every MMA or Bellator fight, but certain ones I will. I'm um, cool with the, the Diaz brothers, um, Gilbert Melendez, Jake Shields, those guys, um, and I was watching, you know, the the build up to the Conor McGregor could be fight, and even before they signed to fight, like I knew that that was a guy that McGregor could possibly fight after his fight with Mayweather. I didn't think he was going to fight that guy because, again, I'm a casual fan, but I'm looking at the, you know, Khabib, and I'm like, this dude is legit. Like, this dude is, like, not somebody you want to be in there, like, half-stepping with. So I never even thought that McGregor was going to go from making 100-plus million to risking it all to fight that dude. They eventually signed the fight. I watched the build-up, and it kind of happened just like I thought it was. I mean, anytime, you, anytime your opponent is, is at – six, seven, eight years old wrestling with baby bears. <laughs> like you may want to think twice before you sign on to fight that dude. I just want to know, I know you weren't surprised with the outcome in the octagon, but with what transpired afterwards, I mean, obviously that was wild. Was that bad or good for UFC? I think it was terrible. Uh, I think it was terrible all the way around the book. Everybody involved 
uh, was not, it wasn't a good look. It wasn't good for the brand. It wasn't good for the fighters. And, and I honestly, I don't even know why like McGregor's being investigated. Like he didn't do anything. He just defended himself when, you know, one of Khabib's guys attacked him and kind of like, you know, kind of got his bearings and then he stopped. I didn't see, I didn't see, maybe I missed something, but I didn't see McGregor do anything over the top. Um, I couldn't believe it. Like when the fight was over, first of all, Khabib was not just trying to choke McGregor out. He was trying to break his neck. Yeah. Like if you watch the replay, like he was twisting his neck. He wasn't just trying to choke him out. And even after McGregor tapped, like that's, that's a, that's an unwritten rule, man. It's a written rule. You got to let up. And he didn't let up. And you see the referee, and I don't know that guy's name, but you see him doing a lot of UFC shows. He's a great ref. He had to literally grab Khabib's arm and pull him off of McGregor. Like, Khabib was in another place mentally. Then he gets up, and you see him still wired. Like, this dude is still on 10 after he wins, and he's pointing to somebody. <laughs> and then you see him jump on the octagon, which is normal. Guys, like, they kind of split the pole, and they kind of, you know, play to the crowd. I thought that's what he was doing. This dude leaped in the crowd with a flying whatever kind of kick, and I'm watching, and I'm I'm like I, I'm I'm in disbelief. I couldn't believe it. Like I'm like, is it, I thought he was just gonna act like he was gonna do something. And again, just kind of like just talk smack to McGregor's guys. This dude was about that life, man. He jumped off the top of the octagon. Um, didn't care who he was gonna hit. He was aiming for a specific guy, and then it was just a melee and a brawl. Like I couldn't believe it, man. And then as things kind of like died down a little bit. I just didn't understand it from Khabib's standpoint because this dude fought a perfect fight. He fought a perfect fight. He won the biggest fight of his life, the biggest purse of his life, the biggest moment of his life. And and all everybody talked about was his behavior post fight, which was which was and, unfortunate. And it's and it's crazy because that's Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is one of the yes. best artists out there and he can get yes. under your skin. And as they're going on mm. promoting the fight. He's talking mm. about Khalid's family. He's getting under mm -hmm. his skin. And that's how he went out there and fought. And all that emotion still built up after the fight was mm. even over because all the stuff that went on, he was trying to go after everybody. I'm just not trying to get yeah. his record. I'm trying to get his whole team for the way they disrespected yeah. me. But I got a question for you, Dre. We all know he was emotional. You know, Daniel Cormier and, and all those guys got in the ring, calmed him down. Do you agree with mm -hmm. the decision? not to put the belt on him at that time after he done won two belts from Conor McGregor? Um, you know, in, in that situation, Dana White, you know, he has to. He's trying to make decisions on the fly. So I understand the argument, you know, that says, hey, man, crown the champion. But when you do something like Khabib did, like, you, you know, like Dana and all his guys, they're trying to make it out of here alive. Like, and I, I felt like, you know, it was a shrewd decision to not – strap him um and to not not put it to not make it seem like or try to send the message that hey we don't care what he just did you know he's a champion we're riding with him like i think that was a shrewd decision man i actually think that was a good decision by then speaking of fighting man i want to take you back a little bit man the canelo triple g man i want to take it back to the first fight first and then to go to the second fight i want to take it back to who won who do you who do you got in the first fight and then who do you got in that second fight as well I think the first fight could have went either way. I think what marred the, the, the first decision was Adelaide Bird's scorecard. Um, she's a veteran, you know, judge. 
but she missed it on this one. She had the, you know, the scores, like I think somewhere like seven, eight rounds for Canelo. The, the fight was not that far in either direction. So I think that's what caused like casual fans to say, oh, it was a robbery. And, you know, people have to understand when it's a close fight, you know, some of the rounds, they're called swing rounds. They can go either way. You know, some of the rounds are subjective. You may be scoring to James and you say, man, I like the aggression of this guy. I may say, yeah, but I like the defense of that guy. It doesn't mean anybody's necessarily wrong. We just scored it differently. So that fight could have went either way. I was cool with the draw. Um, but the second fight, man, I'm not trying to hear it. Like, Canelo bullied the bully. He switched up his game plan, which great fighters do uh, in rematches. And he, he, he showed that he not only had more tools in the toolbox, but that the guy that says, and I'm talking about Golovkin, um, I call him Lil G. Um, <laughs> um, the guy who made his living and his reputation on being this monster, he even coined the phrase Mexican style. Like, on the biggest night of your life, you don't want to be that monster anymore. Mm. You got to ask yourself why. And the why was because of Canelo. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about Andre Ward. You've been busy, and that's obviously a good thing, yes. even though you've been retired. Um, I love, though, that you are now on the dark side with me and my boy, James Jones. Yes. It started, though. I'm going to say you got your feet wet at NBC Sports Bay Area. Yes. Okay. Yes. What's the transition been like for you? Uh, Yeah, I I definitely got my feet wet there. I started the internship um, several years back, and and you guys, you know, um, just were a gracious host and, like, did a great job just allowing me to, like, basically just tag along and sit next to your desk and ask questions. And, you know, I had been working with HBO even before that, but I wanted to really kind of delve into it and really understand the business, you know, from behind the camera. Like I've always been on the, on, you know, the other side of the camera, but I wanted to know, you know, who was talking in my ear. I wanted to know what the earpiece was called. I wanted to know what this mic was called, what, what that camera does, the two shot, the single shot. And that was just me just trying to like, just being me, just trying to like make sure that I'm, you know, super prepared and, and, and just not trying to leave, you know, a stone unturned. And when I retired, like, you know, it was just, it, it, I don't want, it was, I guess it was a seamless transition. I think that's safe to say it was a seamless transition because again, I had been doing the broadcasting and the analyst work, but now I can do it full time. And any of the mentors that I have, you know, Jim Lampley, Al Bernstein, now Joe Tessitore, like, they all tell me the same thing. If you can apply the same work ethic and same mindset as you did to this sport, the sky's the limit. So that's all I'm trying to do. I know you got something to say about that, James. And I know he's on the dark side, man. I don't even really want to go really into depth in the TV stuff. I want to get into the acting stuff, man. You know you. But real quick on the dark side, though. Real quick, one 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 last statement <laughs> on that. Like I had, I had like a like a like an awakening, like a revelation. You know, I was talking to Joe Tessitore, and Joe's, again, he's a mentor, so, like, we'll be behind the scenes. And um, I know for me right now, and, and Max Kellerman, who's also a mentor of mine, he always tells me, Dre, you respect the camera too much. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you, re- you, you, you want to be too polished, and, and you don't necessarily want to say the tough thing. And I'm like, okay. Then I talked to Joe Tessitore, and I was like, Joe, Joe, listen, you got to understand something, man, like, like I'm in the fraternity. Like these are my brothers. And he said, well, he, said, he said, well, wait a second. He said, wait a second. You're not in that fraternity anymore. You're in this fraternity. You're on our side. And I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa. I said, you're right, man. I said, you're right. So that, that was like the moment where like 
I got hit in the face with that. And like, it's true. Like that's the reality of the situation. I am no longer an active athlete. I will always be associated with that part of it, you know, in some kind of respect, but the reality is, man, is I'm on the other side. Yeah. And that's the hard part, man. Cause even working with the network, the part that I struggle with, cause when you do want to say things about you, whether it's a guy you play with or, or your teammate, you might need to call these dudes down the line and say, hey, man, yes. can you come to an interview? Can you do this? So you don't yes. want to burn bridges. The guys that's already working on the TV that never played, they're not worried about the bridges being burned because they can build these At relationships. All. You know, so that's the hard part. So, I mean, I try to, you know, Say the real, and then try to build the person up at the same time. Like man, Devontae Adams got to catch that man, but this dude's a special player. You know what I mean? But that's the hard part because you played with these guys, and you don't want to burn those bridges. It's extremely hard, but I, I think it's what you, I think you 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 nailed the head on the, right right on the coffin, man. And 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 that's the difference between you know a player analyst and maybe somebody who who's never been between the lines or been inside the ring is that players don't like to be critiqued. But I think a player can digest critique and criticism a little bit better if it, if it's coupled with some, you know, constructive criticism, but also like something uplifting to say, look, he should have caught that. But listen, man, this dude's been catching these passes his whole life. He's just got exactly. a lot Versus yeah. saying, oh, he's trash. We'll get him off the field. Why are they even starting him? That's what, like, for me, that's the issue that I have yeah. with any yeah. type of media. It's like, come on, bro. I'm not going to pull your card and say you never did this. But when you talk like you have, and yeah. you're not giving any credit, that's what I struggle with. Yeah. Jay, I know that you wanted to talk about his acting. However, I got to still stick on this analyst host role because <laughs> after a nine, ten-year hiatus, The Contender is back, season five. I am super excited about it. I'm actually a little bit behind, uh, but you are the host. I mean, did you say yes right away? Was it a little intimidating? How did that come about? Well, you got to get caught up, Fallon, because every episode is turning up more and more. Um, and I, I'm just super excited about what we've done so far and what the team has done. Um, it came about simply because I, you know, I was doing some research and I saw that they were bringing it back. And this is a show, mind you, that I that I've grown up on. You mm -hmm. know, they've they've had a hiatus for eight or nine years or whatever it was. So I reached out to my lawyer. I was like, "Hey, reach out to you know the contender people." and see if there's some synergy there. Let's see if we could be involved in some kind of way. They were headed in our direction. So I guess mm. apparently I was on a short list of, you know, potential hosts that they were already looking at. So we kind of met each other halfway. And um, I had actually forgot about it. A month or two went by. I got busy, did some other stuff. And, and my lawyer called me, hey, bro, he said, we, we, we might get this job. I'm like, what job? And he was like, the contender. I was like, really? And I'm thinking they're talking about maybe broadcasting, doing some type of, you know, behind the scenes report. He was like, no, you're going to be the host. Dang. I was like, come on, man, are you serious? And it just kind of fell in my lap. It fell in my lap. And, you know, we filmed in, in Los Angeles for 30 days, uh, 30 days straight. It, it was grueling. It was tough. It was a learning curve. It was different than any type of behind the camera work that I've ever done because everything depends on me. Um, but I caught on quick, man, and I, and I loved it. And I built lasting relationships with every single one of those dudes. We talk to this day. 
uh, it, it was just an enriching experience, man. I'm so happy to be a part of the, the, the new series of The Contender. Do you get nervous? Of course. When you're on air or before, like something like this, a hosting gig? Uh, yes, yes. You got to realize that so we'll have a scene where, you know, I have a script. So I have my script for the day and then, you know, I have to digest it. And there's certain points that I can't like overlook. But the rest of it, I can make it my own. I can flow, do my thing, kind of put my own flair to it. So we'll go to, I may have to round the guys up and say, okay, meet me in the loft. I've got all the guys looking at me. I've got probably 20 cameramen, executive producers, producers, this person, that person. Everybody's quiet. They're like, okay, we need you to start in three, two, one. And I have the, I have the liberty to start over. But, Jazz, you know, man, we competitors, man. I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying, I'm telling, I'm man. trying to be one and hey. done. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get in and get out. So, hey, yes, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I was nervous, but I keep my water close to me because, well, you know, my, my throat get a little dry. My, my lips start getting a little red, I, you know. So I just make sure I'm sipping my water, and then I try to go, I try to go knock it out. Try to be a one-take wonder. So you're a one-take wonder? I try to be. You got to shoot for that. I don't want to be the guy that took eight, eight, eight takes to get. So you know what I'm saying? People are going to talk about you. They're going to smile. When you leave, oh man! Like, oh my goodness! Oh man! Hey, when that day is over, they like, man, they going straight, man. Thirty-seven <laughs> takes on that one, man. He going yeah. too bad. He got us in here too long. <laughs> hey, I'm a broadcaster. I've been in the business for a decade. I still get nervous, still get a little anxious, even even before I got on this call. I was like, all right, you got this. Like I had to talk to myself, <laughs> had to drink my water, make sure my throat was yeah. all moist and stuff. I mean, it, it's hard. People don't understand. This is not easy. I remember 10 years ago when I first started, I was terrible. Thank God I started in Wyoming with those poor folks that had to watch me on TV. Man, I was terrible. <laughs> yeah, and it's tough, too, because, I mean, as for Dre, he was a boxer. You know, Fallon, you played basketball and all that growing up. I mm-hmm. played football, so training and catching the ball and running routes is something I woke up. I could wake up right now and go out there and run routes and catch a ball. It's just something that you do. Fallon, you could go out there and shoot a basketball. It's just something that you do. Dre, you could go out there, box a couple rounds. It's something that you do, but this is new. So you're like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. know what to expect. You know, this can happen, that can happen. I mean, in your profession, you're like, oh, I'm ready for all this. I haven't been training for all this. Mm-hmm. But with this TV stuff, man, anything can happen, and this is new to you, so it is nervous. You are nervous. The nerves are definitely there, but I, I do think that, that we all have an advantage. Being that we've played sports and, and done our thing at a high level, you know, that same competitiveness, that same drive, that same locked-in focus that you got to have, all that stuff is, is transferred over to a different craft. And there is a learning curve, but once we get it, man, we got it. We got it. You know, I always want to get a little, you know, get ahead of the game, man. So Creed 1 came out. You were solid in that, yes. man. Is Creed 2 better than Creed 1? Uh, I would say that I haven't seen the whole cut, but I, I would venture to say that, that Stephen Capel, the young director who is succeeding um, and coming behind Ryan Coogler, um, he did a tremendous job, man. And, 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 and I have no problem saying that I believe that, you know, it's going to be, you know, just as good, if not better, than than Creed One. And I will say this about my part and and my contribution to Creed Two. Um, you guys are gonna see me in a light that you haven't seen me in before. Ooh. And I'm a little I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about the people seeing it. Just I'm talking just specifically my part. And um 
I'm sure I'm gonna get some feedback after it's over. So I'm just, I just leave it there. I leave it like that. Are you a bad guy? I forget. I, I got a, I got a little edge to me. I have a little edge to me, um, just like I did in Creed One. So you know, I do have that. But it's just, you know, it, it, it's a little different. Like I, it took me put it like this. Like once I read the script, I was like, nah, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. I'm not doing it. And it took me speaking to. Stephen Capel, up until the very day, the day before we actually started shooting, I had to talk to Ryan Coogler. Like, it was multiple steps I had to go through before I accepted this role. Once I accepted it, I was in 100%, but, like, it was a process. And I think once you guys see it, you're going to understand why. Hey, you know what, man? I call myself being, like, a very smart man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a, I'm a savvy dude. So just listening to you <laughs> talk right now, it kind of let me know, you know, He's 80 and oh, he ain't never lost. It's kind of letting me know like, <laughs> he drunk gets knocked out and he loses and he ain't used to that. In a I would listen. I will say this: I can't confirm or deny that, <laughs> but you know, it, I mean, it, it sounds good. You know, it sounds like it could be a thing, but I can't confirm or deny. It. I can't. James, you're smarter than me. You know what I was thinking this whole time? Maybe because we just interviewed Derek Carr, who does not curse. I thought it was like a role they gave you. I no. thought you were like cursing every other word. I would never do it. No, 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 no amount of money they could give me to do that. There's no yeah, amount of money they could give me to that. I didn't think of that. Is I'm just saying the competitor in my dog. He ain't ne- he ain't never lost. He's I, like, I, that's gonna have me losing now. <laughs> no, no. I I would just say this: don't miss it. Don't miss it. Man, you gotta call me. Got I'm, I'm gonna be tuned in. I'm gonna be tuned in. My man got knocked out. I'm just kidding. I like how we're just making things up right now. <laughs> and I want to hear that feedback too after you watch it. I gotta come back on Absolutely. and I want to hear the feedback from you guys. Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> okay, so I know you want to plug your SOG apparel. It's fly. Thank you. The SOG line is like, you know, I had the AW line when I was with Jordan, and then I'm still with Jordan, but they they released me to go ahead and do the Son of God line, and that's something that I've always wanted to do. You know, I appreciate, you know, my actual initials, A-Dub, but, you know, the Son of God thing, um, that that's 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 what I believe in. Um, I consider myself a Son of God. That That's what I wore on the back of my robe, my trunks, and that's really what I'm synonymous with, and I just felt like it was something that, um, that anybody and everybody, irrespective of gender, could relate to. And, you know, I try to, you know, I, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm a somewhat creative dude and I got vision and, you know, um, I just felt like it was a good project, man. And, and, and like, you know, people can get the line, you know, com. We're constantly updating things, getting new styles, new trends, new, new, new stuff like that. Um, and it's just, it's doing, it's doing way better than I thought it was, honestly, you know, and Marshawn Lynch, who, you know, that's my brother, man. Like the beast mode line is going crazy. He's got three stores, um, in Seattle, Oakland, of course, and then Las Vegas. Um, so he's been a huge inspiration to me. Uh, Mr. Five is a brother of mine on the dope air clothing line. He's been an inspiration to me and it's just a project, you know, it's not something I'm trying to get rich, rich over. Like, of course we want to make some money, but, um, it's more or less just giving the people what they've been asking for because they appreciated the AW line, but they've been asking specifically for this. So we gave them what they asked for. You got a ton of projects going on. I mean, I heard you're shooting an autobiography. Is that right? Yeah. So right now I was actually looking at the latest cut of my doc um, before we jumped on the phone. Um, And I've been working on this for about a year and 
it's a, it's a grueling process. You know, it's a grueling process, but again, it's, it's a challenge. And, you know, James, I don't know about you, but me, like I need like something to like refocus on and, and to be challenged by and to be stimulated by. And all these projects we just named, like, like, you know, outside of my family, like, that's it. Like I'm getting what I was looking for and it's been a busy year, but a rewarding year. Um, I'm also working on my book and that's a slower process. I'm trying to get the, the documentary done, but you know, the, the vision behind the doc was simply, um, my biggest critic would probably say, you know, Andre Ward is guarded and that's for a lot of reasons. You know, um, that's how I was raised, you know, James, you came up in the same era I came up in like, we don't, this is a different era. These kids these days, mm-hmm. like they tell you everything they're going to do before they do it. Yep. I'm not going to yeah. tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to just sneak up on <laughs> you and show you. Not going to talk about it. And that's just what, like, that's why I was raised. So staying all of that, I feel like the people have questions about my retirement. They have questions about my life. They have questions about certain parts of my career. And this is just an opportunity to be unguarded which is the name of the doc, pull back the cover and like really just be vulnerable, man, and kind of reveal a lot of things, like show people the issues that I went through with my body and the surgeries and the rehab and just, you know, the times I had to shed tears, you know, the struggles that I had with my mother and my father with substance abuse, all the things that I didn't want to lead with in my career, I get a chance now that it's all said and done to show the people what I went through and how I got to where I got. Love it. Well, that's awesome, though, man, because you earn that. You know what I mean? Because people don't want to hear Thank about you. no losers. You know what I'm saying? And you earn that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know. For real, how you grinded, man. You know what I mean? Came you from humble beginnings, lie. grinded, you know, and, yeah. and worked your tail off and, and, and got to where you are, and you earned that, man. So, yes. congrats. Yes. Thank you, brother. But, man, you, Thank you. you spoke on Marshawn Lynch being your brother, you know. Yeah, this is a sports show, so you know. Yeah, once a Raider, always a Raider. You know, I was a Raider. Absolutely. Your thoughts on Gruden, man, and the Raiders, man. What's what's your thoughts on them so far? My goodness, <laughs> I'm trying to reserve my opinion right now. I'm trying to let a few more games kind of like you know play out and and to kind of see if I'm seeing what I'm seeing. You know. Um, <laughs> I mean, X's and O's aside, like, obviously, you know, we, we've had a disappointing start. Um, but I would venture to say, I feel like they kind of, they started the season bad. And I, and I don't mean on the field. I think yes. the whole Khalil Mack thing, I think I think the energy going into the, the season was, was bad. I don't want to say he, he lost his locker room before the season started. I think that would be going too far. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know. But but seeing the reaction from Raider Nation, seeing the reaction of, you know, just fans in general, like, and even, even teammates of Khalil, that's just not a good way to start, you know, your tenure as, as, as the new Raider coach or returning Raider coach by getting rid of your best player. And then after a few games, you tell the people that you guys don't have a good pass rusher or they're hard to pass rushers are hard to find. It's just a lot of little things like that that start to add up. And I'm sure, and I'm going out on the limb that some of the players are kind of looking sideways like, man, really? And you know, James, like it's a lot of those little things that'll just kind of have you off just enough where things won't be clicking the way they're supposed to click. So I think that's kind of, that was kind of like the main thing. And then of course they got, you know, they got to get guys in the right position. Certain players got to step up. And, it, you know, obviously X's and O's as well. But I think that was the biggie was just the Khalil Mack thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was the timing as well. It wasn't like before training camp. I mean, this happened right before the season began. And not only that, Fallon, but like they were told that it wasn't going to happen. Exactly. The, the fans 
were told that we were going to work this out. This is just, you know, promises. <clears throat> you know, let's just be patient. What is we? We're gonna, and then all of a sudden, you start hearing rumors about Khalil Mack going to the Chicago Bears. We don't believe it. And then the next yeah. day, it actually happens. So that's how it's a hard pill to swallow. I don't mean to bring up a, a negative on our guy, Derek Carr, uh, but I just read this tweet, and it's from Josh DeBeau mm-hmm. from the AP. And uh, he tweeted, Derek Carr is the first Raiders quarterback with more interceptions than touchdown passes in the first five games since Jamarcus Russell wow. in 2009. Wow. AJ, that's not good, yeah. bro. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not good. But you know me. I'm. I'm. I'm the biggest Derek Carr fan in the world, man. And I done. I done been in the locker room. I done been on the field with this dude, seeing how special he is. So my opinion of Derek Carr is never going to change. Just like my opinion yeah. of Mason Crosby ain't going to change after he went out there and shanked five kicks. I still think he's the greatest kicker in Packers history. So my <laughs> my opinion on DC is not going to change. Listen. He's with a new offensive coordinator in Gruden. He's taking some chances that he usually doesn't take, and he's throwing some picks. But he's a special talent, and I'm going to keep telling everybody 24-7 that's baby A-Rod, and he's going to get it right, and he got to mm-hmm. get it right. Andre, do you think that uh, they still have time to salvage the season? Um, I would say I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, you know, and I, I feel like it has to start. Like the turnaround has to start in – London. That's what they're playing, right? London. Yeah, against the Seahawks. Yep. Yeah, they, it has to start there. Like everybody's dealing with the same, you know, travel, uh, you know, situation. Like there's no excuse there. Everybody's gonna have a jet lag. Um, they they got to do it now, you know. And even if they do have a 500 season, like Raider Nation, that that that's a that's a you know a failed season. I, I feel like the fans are gonna feel like, and I probably would feel like that too. And that's kind of what happens when. You get rid of a head coach who, if I'm not mistaken, they went 12 and four and then eight and eight last year. Uh, didn't they? They won six games last year. Was it below 500? Yeah, they won six games last year only. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they were 12 and four and then they won six games. They went six and ten last year. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough year, lad. The last year with with uh, coach uh, Del Rio because yeah, they knew yeah, he was yeah. gone. wasn't nobody fighting for him. wasn't nobody, you know. So they. I mean, the season, the season was done. But this is what I will say. From playing in the league for so long, one win changes everything. Yeah, week-to-week league. Yeah, if the Raiders go out here and win in London and beat Seattle, and the Chargers lose and Kansas City lose, I mean, they're, they're just a couple games back. I know Kansas City will be 4-1, but you'll be dang near close to being one game back from being second place in this division. You know what I mean? So you might not have a chance to win your division, but let's get in the wild card. But one game could change a lot of things. So they just got to keep going. Can I play radio host for just a second? Just a second? Yes, sir. I'm going to ask you a question. How does that work? Like, because in, a, in an NFL locker, locker room, like you just said, when Jack was there, you know, the rumors are there. Everybody knew he was gone, so they weren't playing for him. But where's the fine line between – like, man, the season is over, or the coach is leaving, man, I'm done, versus playing for pride. Like, but like where's that fine line? And, and how do you keep, you know, like a team, like a whole team, like rallying to, like, you know, be the best they can be, even though things are not ideal? And that's tough, man, because, I mean, in boxing, it's, it's you. 
You know what I'm saying? So yep. you can be in that locker room, get your mind right. You know what I'm saying? So when you got mm-hmm. 53 guys in the locker room and you got 20 of them, that's like, look, man, got that dog mentality. And I'm like, look, I don't care if we won in 14, but we're going to go out here. We're going to win this last mm-hmm. game. Everybody going to sell out. You know what I'm saying? And then mm. you got the other 20 guys over there like, man, shoot, I'm just trying not to get hurt. This season over. <laughs> that's their they mindset. You know what I'm saying? So mm. that's how in the locker room a team could get split, and that's how you mess around and end up losing games. Because, okay, it's mm. 11 guys out there take the, take the field on offense, but five of them is like, let's go get it, and then they shoot. The other six like, shoot, man, it's over, man. Let's, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And then you look spent. Mm. You look like, man, we ain't mm. never ran a play ever. You know what I'm saying? And you mess around and lose. So it's hard with dealing with a lot of guys in the locker room. Mm. Okay, but James, last year, the Raiders, when they only won six games, they didn't know Jack Dalria was getting canned. It wasn't until entering the last game that there was even speculation about John Gruden. Man, I was part of the media. Knew. No, they did I kn- not. I, it know, was- I know you were, but everybody knew this was Jack's last year. We all knew that. I mean, okay, that's, why it happened so, that's why it happened so fast after the season. I talked to a lot of players in that locker room, and they basically said it was over for Jack. Jack lost the locker room. Everybody in there was calling for his head. They, they knew it was, was over for, for Jack. They knew they knew it was. The reason why it happened so fast is because Mark Davis already had a plan in place. He was trying to get John Gruden for years and years and years, and he finally got him. It cost, obviously, $100 million. But, and, that's, yeah. and that's what I'm saying, Fallon. Do you th- do you think that happened right after the season? No, Mark knew all this during. The yeah, okay, season. okay, you're right, you're right. But I'm saying I didn't. I don't think it was. Listen, possibly if they can get John Gruden, it didn't matter if they went 12 and four again. I mean, he was going to go with John yeah. Gruden. It didn't matter yeah. who was the head coach. But 12 and four. I mean, after you done came off another 12 and four, fans would have been looking at you crazy, John Gruden or not. You know what I'm saying? Right. But when you go 12 and four, then you come back and go six and ten, and everybody talking about he can't control the locker room, his players is quitting on him, and now it's like, okay, shoot, it's time to go get. You know what I'm saying, John Gruden? But if you'd have went 12 and four like you did the year before, it'd been tough to get him out of there. Okay, 2018 Jack, Raiders. Go ahead, Andre. Nah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm going to stop with my questions. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Go no, ahead. No, you're, you're good. Hey, you're in the host seat. That's fine. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask, like, um, how much longer, like, how much more can it, the Raiders take before John Gruden loses the locker room, A, and then B, what does that look and sound like when a, when a coach has lost the locker room? Like, what does that mean? Great question. Man, that I is mean, a very I, good I, question. <laughs> this is... This is <laughs> That's what it sounds like when a, when a coach has lost a locker room. And like I spoke on them before, 20 guys will be over here believing in Gruden's plan. Like, man, okay, too. Mm. He, he let go Khalil Mack. We're going to hit on these two draft picks, man, and we're going to be back in the playoffs. The other 20 going to be like, shoot, man, they just let my brother go. Let the best pass rusher in the, in the world go, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And how, how are we supposed to win without him? And he coming out to the media talking about, you know what I'm saying, we, it's hard to find pass rusher and you just let the best one in the world go. And then you start getting the locker room divided like that. And then you come on the field and you lose. And you lose mm-hmm. games because you can't get after the pass rusher. So now you're looking at your coach kind of crazy, you know what I'm saying? And now you, it's just split, man, and it's hard to kind of kind of rally rally behind a coach like that, man. And that's how you lose the locker room. And then when you say comments, like you said, like he said comments like, oh, Khalil Mack didn't want to be a Raider. So the guy that mm. has been in the locker room with Khalil Mack that know Khalil Mack, that's close to Khalil Mack, like, nah. 
He wanted to be a Raider. Don't be lying on my dude now. Yeah, you that's not right. That's because they know it's this not is right. your decision that you mm-hmm. made. You know what I'm saying? So that's when players start thinking like, okay, is he, is he going to do me like that? You know what I'm saying? Mm. And then you start losing guys in the locker room. So, you know, they got to start winning. Oh, he's going to start losing a lot more people in that locker room, in my opinion. James, and it doesn't help that every single press conference, you talk about how you can't get after the quarterback and you don't have a pass rush. I mean, it feels like he's trolling the fans, but at this point, if I'm a player, I'm looking at you like, bruh, we don't have a pass rush because you traded away our best player. Why do you keep talking about this? Why are you still talking about this? Exactly. Real quick, um, I just looked up the schedule. So they have the Seahawks. In London, then they have a bye week, then they face the Colts, then the 49ers. If they can beat mm. the Seahawks, they are liable. They could roll off three straight wins. Colts, 49ers? Absolutely. That is, that is, a, that is right there. So, I mean, that's the bright side. Talking the phone, James. Talking the phone. I am talking in the phone. That's the bright side for him right there. You know what I mean? You get the Niners, you get the Colts, all these teams oh, are struggling. Goodness. That's the bright side. Yeah, but they—I feel like they have to. Like, it's not even like well, they can't. Like, they have. Like, they literally have to win out all those three games that you just mentioned. Like, they have to. Like, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> the Raiders are like, listen, man. Like, we like how many? How much longer do we have to deal with this kind of stuff? Like, I, I feel like the Raider fans are like they're leaving games early. Like, that's not a good sign. That's not a no, good sign. No. You're right. It's the, it's the most loyal fan base in the league and has been for I don't know how long. When they start to give up on you, that's a bad sign. Yeah. You paid your head coach $100 million, and he is not doing better than Jack Del Rio. Mm. It's sad. With, a, I think, a much-improved roster minus Khalil Mack. Okay, so let me get off my high horse. We're going to move on. Um, to a, a team that's headed in the right direction continuously, and that is the Warriors. Before we let you go, yes, we got the NBA season right around the corner. I know you're pumped up. You're a huge Warriors fan. Will the Dubs three-peat and why? I don't see why not. Um, I, I think bar, you know, multiple um, injuries to, to, you know, some of the key players, uh, I, I don't see why they wouldn't. Like, I feel like they're – they're on cruise control right now. And it's not that they're not going to get challenged. I mean, everybody's going to form. So it's going to be, I feel like every, every year that they attempt to win a championship is going to get harder and harder, but they're, they're, they're in their They're at their peak right now. And, and they're at their prime. And James, I know, you know, way back when, when I was in my prime and when you were in your prime, like you feel invincible. Like you, you know, certain things like your opponent knows certain things are coming, but can you stop it? So <laughs> everybody's gunning for the Warriors. But I don't think they can stop it. Like, these guys are at their peak. And bar something crazy happening, I think we're going to see a three-peat. The West is going to be super fun to watch. Now, LeBron James, obviously now in the West with the Lakers, he's been to eight straight NBA finals. Yep. So, I mean, do you think there's a chance that he will beat the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals and get the Lakers into the NBA Finals for a ninth straight (laughs) finals appearance for LeBron? (laughs) Listen, I'm gonna say this. Like I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a big LeBron fan. That's I love LeBron. Maverick Carter is a friend of mine. Um, I rock, I rock with the whole team. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I see that. I don't know if I see that. Um, at least on paper. But 
LeBron James is LeBron James. And I think he's going to rise to the occasion. And I mm. think he's going to rub off on the other players. He's going to make those other guys great. And I think they're going to play over their head because he's going to demand it and he's going to lead by example. So um, I don't know if they're going to make it to the Western Conference finals. Um, but if they did, I wouldn't be surprised because it's LeBron James. I hope I answered that right. No, you did. I was trying to get that one right. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter who his sporting cast is. He's LeBron James. And if you think that he's the GOAT, then there's no reason why that uh, he shouldn't be in his ninth straight NBA Finals. And, and, and LeBron is, like, extremely smart. He's not, like, he's a chess player. LeBron doesn't play checkers. So he's not going, like, he went to the Lakers for a reason. And even some of the pieces that, that they acquired that make you scratch your head, like, it's, a, it's, it's something there. Like, he did that for a reason. And I think we're going to see it, and it's going to play out as the season progresses. Okay, so I didn't mean to say, like, if you think he's the GOAT, so let me just ask you now, uh, you're obviously signed by it. The Jordan brand, and I'm sure you grew up a Michael Jordan fan. Absolutely. Who is the GOAT? Let's just say both of them are the GOAT, or is it MJ, LeBron, Kobe? Who you got? All three? <laughs> I mean, I'm going with MJ, like, as the ultimate GOAT. Yes. Um, but, those, but those guys, I mean, Kobe, you can't forget Bill Russell, um, LeBron. Like, those guys are definitely in the conversation, but... Man, that look, I mean, come on. Like, that that's Unk right there, Mike. I love Mike. I've always loved Mike, and, and I am signed to his brand, too. So, that you know, I would get that one right, too. Um, <laughs> but, no, I mean, the, the, the fact that Mike won as many times as he did and the, the way that he did, I, I don't think it's just the wins. It's the way you did it. Like, I don't know another player that has a flu game like Mike had. Like, just stuff like that in, big, in the biggest moments. He yeah. found a way to rise to the occasion, man. So, and that stuff is etched in our minds forever. That's why his, you know, the Jordan brand does as well as it does because we just keep reliving all those moments, you know, year after year after year. So I, I would have to say, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, Bill Russell's up there. And then you got, again, you got you to have Kobe and LeBron in there too. And the scary part is, is Brian ain't done. Mm-mm. Brian has, I don't know how many years left. So he, he's still building legacy. Appreciate you, brother. JJ got to go get on this plane. I know you do. Hey, it was an honor and a privilege. I appreciate you guys having me on when you guys are just getting started. So when you guys go ahead and blow up and you guys are, you know, doing your thing on a, on a, on a high, high level, don't forget about the, the little people, man. You know, have oh, me back on. want to come kick it with y'all. And uh, just remember that I was on, what is it? What show is this? Three, four, five? This is episode three. This episode three. I, Andre Ward was on episode three of keeping it, what, 300? Yeah, keep yep. it at 300, baby. Let's go. It's always a pleasure. You're one of my favorite athletes to cover, and you've also become the homie. So I appreciate you. Great stuff. I mean, the fans are going to love this. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Appreciate it. Anytime. I appreciate both of you. Continue success, too, man. Keep grinding. Appreciate it, bro.